So you've all heard about measles and Ebola. Um, today we're kickstarting this topic, this season on simulators, and it couldn't come at a better time. Um, John Cordier, who's a business mind, but also a healthcare mind, um, both both combined, right? Which is a, a great insight to have there. He's sharing perspectives on um, this idea of epidemiology, on how we can prevent some of the breakouts using technology. He actually works for uh, Fred, the framework of epidemiological dynamics. This is Um, what we'll dive into more as a, a starting point for a conversation, but we'll see that you know simulations are really practical ways um, not just to train doctors, which is something that we typically think of when we hear the word medical simulation, but in the case of epidemiology, it's actually an amazing tool for public policy and to make decisions, informed decisions, much earlier than if we were to just observe the world around us. Right, John. So, do you want to take me a little bit through the experience of like you open that browser? What what happens next? Sure. So, imagine you're in the case of a public health worker that is in a county where there's one of these measles outbreaks. So, uh, one of the first things you want to do is understand where uh, the cases are going to happen, where the current ones are, where the next ones are going to be, and what changes you can make to either distributing vaccines or something like that to help prevent the spread of the disease. So uh, once you get into the FRED platform, now uh, we're building out two different areas of it. The one is command line code. So you're coding different uh, line by line, what's going to happen to each person, uh, and then how that person and the disease interact with one another. The other factor that you can also add in are factors from the environment, which are more of these social determinants of health, and tie those back into um, you know, factors that influence the agents or the individuals, which also influence how the disease spreads. So, you know, an example of how this could work is if there are more cases in a specific area, there are more people at risk. So you might want to increase the amount of marketing or uh, vaccine distribution in that specific area. Um, in other cases, you can look at things like, you know, what if we just told people not to go to school? What if we told people, hey, stay home from work today um, and do like different things like that. Um, these are all different scenarios you can test out. And so when you're in the, the FRED simulator, you can kind of, you put in all these rules to define the model that you're building to simulate. And then with that, you can kind of turn knobs or fine tune and tweak uh, what you have, but like the model that you built. And from there you can test out different scenarios. And that's really, um, it shouldn't be really valuable, especially when looking at epidemics and other things in public health. So, so before we dive into that specific topic of looking at public health and, and perhaps the measles epidemic that we're facing, sure. um, tell me a little bit also, I want to make that parenthesis, that when you're looking at the, the model behind this, you probably have epidemiologists that work on this, you probably mm -hmm. have coders, you probably have a very sure. wide variety of people, right? Yeah, so our team, you can pretty much group them into four general buckets, three or four really. So we definitely have epidemiologists, uh, the platform Um, FRED stands for the Framework for Reconstructing Epidemiological Dynamics, so we definitely have the epidemiologist side of that. Uh, we have a, you know, people with a great background in infectious disease modeling. Um, one of the founders of, well, one of the, the thought leaders behind FRED and then one of the um, co-founders of the company Epistemics with me uh, is 
you know, one of the most well-known infectious disease physicians in the world. Um, so we have epidemiologists, infectious disease. We also take into account people who are able to think creatively about modeling difficult situations. So we have uh, a couple physicists, uh, people with different statistical backgrounds, and then we have people with just deep expertise in a specific area, which might be healthcare, um, it could be more general public health at the population level, it could be at the insurance level, it could be with disaster preparedness, emergency management response. Um, and that's the cool thing about uh, the team is that it's, all, it's going to continue to grow as we have more and more use cases for using this type of a simulation tool. And how, how do you work together? Because it's all these different pockets of knowledge in the end. How can you come mm -hmm. to create something together as a team? So I think that comes down to, to just good management practice, but also having people who, who want to do you want to do good for public health. Um, so there's the different the programmers, there's the different you know developers, they're working together. And even when things come up with like, hey, we're working with the state of Texas to develop you know, uh, a model and simulate what uh, you know, measles outbreaks could look like if, if they were to happen in the state of Texas. Uh, so there's the public health expertise that works with the, um, the modeler And then that modeler, if they have any issues with building their model, they're working with the developers, and that's kind of like an, an ongoing cycle um, that we go through. Very nice. Um, now, when you mentioned, for example, a city uh, or state working with you, mm -hmm. what, what is their alternative? Like, why? I know that you guys are pretty famous for, for what you do. Why is it revolutionary, quote unquote? What, what was it before this came on the market? Sure. So, before there were just, you know, best guesses based off of historical lookbacks, um, but the difficulty uh, before you know, we kind of came out with the FRED technology is that there wasn't really a way to look, um, to use like the data that was available to make forecasts into the future in a more dynamic way. So one, the use of agent-based modeling is a better alternative to what previously was used. Um, in the you know, emergence of agent-based modeling, there continue to be more and more use cases, but uh, it's an emerging field. And so the difficulties were in, one, is usable information and data available? Two, is it going to be the same type of information that um, you know, the city of Houston has versus Chicago versus small town uh, Kentucky versus somewhere in California? And so... Uh, once the, the data collection got better, uh, it enables, you know, tools like Fred to be built that can leverage good data and then with that make better uh, predictions in the future. Okay. And the kind of predictions you make, are they with things, variables that you can control or are there variables you cannot control? Is it only non-modifiable items basically? So both. Uh, you can have the non-modifiable and then you can also have the things that you can't change. Uh, the things that you can change, those would be more the behavioral interventions or it could be policies that the individuals of the population that you're simulating would be uh, restricted by or given the freedom to do. So, yeah, it's a really, it, I mean, it's a great tool. You can, you can, you know, factor in laws, all different types of policies and kind of stuff that would be, um, you know, it, it always changes the outcome. So even a small a change in one variable because it's a dynamic model it's not a static oh I'm, i know that this is a linear kind of thing 
changing in one thing could lead to larger changes across uh, the simulation. So that's interesting. What you're saying also is that if you have two different cities, you can't apply the same solution, even if you put the same parameters in terms of the modifiable um, variables, it would not necessarily lead to the same outcomes. Right. Well, that's because, you know, each city is different. And the great thing about our, our platform is that we have a, you know, a representation that we call a synthetic, a synthetic population. And our synthetic population statistically mirrors the actual population of, you know, one right now, the United States, and then in the other geographies that we're working in, we make sure that it, it truly mirrors in, you know, demographics, in, uh, like, geospatial position, uh, resources that are available, that it, it's a, a really comprehensive synthetic population which enables you to build a model. So if you're modeling, um, let's say, opioid abuse, that that model can work in whatever geography you're working in because our platform considers that. That's great. Yeah. Did, did you ever get a chance to actually test, be, say we think that this is how it's gonna, you know, we're modeling it this way and to actually test it in the real world to see if that was accurate? So, yeah, so we would do that in the way of doing a look back. Mm -hmm. um, so we could say that here was an event that played out, here's how we would have modeled it based off of what we know today. Um, and then with that information, yeah, we fine tune the model and, you know, get as accurate as we can. And so doing that really helps It helps us uh, make a better platform for people, and it also is better for um, you know partners that we work with, customers, so that they can see the process of building models. Because I think in simulation, and especially using agent-based modeling, that's one of the um, that might be one of the bottlenecks. It's just the number of people comfortable building models and using agent-based modeling. But as we you know grow a community of users, which is one of our goals. Uh, We'd like to see, you know, people sharing models, people being able to, you know, leverage expertise across multiple organizations with, you know, kind of the, the Fred team, either at the Graduate School of Public Health at Pitt or at Epistemics, kind of guiding and leading that. Yeah, that'd be interesting if you had, you know, those hackathons where people come, maybe you could have something like the Fred, you know, simulation contest, competition. Sure. Uh, so in one of the, my conversations today with somebody who has a, an alternative, um, you know, modeling platform to do different types of simulations, they have a, a library of simulations that are out there. Um, and they kind of, I don't know if they would say they did it in a way of a challenge, but they did it in a way to increase the use of modeling and simulation. And so they have two different ways. They have a public library where you can post a model to that. Um, you can say, hey, I, you know, I designed this. Uh, here's like a, a cool use case for it. And people just like give it up and give it out to the world. Um, then they have their private side where people are actually building models that they're trying to monetize. Um, and we envision a world where like we're doing both, but making sure that You know, if there's something like an infectious disease or an outbreak or, you know, a social epidemic that's happening and it's, you know, crippling an economy or something like that, that we're saying, hey, uh, we need to, to model this for the social good. And, and that's one of the things that um, as a company we're going to, to really try to do. Very interesting. Now, let's shift gears a bit and, and talk about those users that the policymakers, I'm guessing, or mm -hmm. is, it, is it more targeted towards doctors, policymakers? Who, who's using that platform? So, uh, The platform is really used by people who are more on like the, the data side of things, but you know, what's the point of, of manipulating data is to make better decisions. So uh, we have data scientists who would be using the tool, analysts who could be using the tool, 
Um, but then what they're discovering, what that output's giving are ways to make better decisions. So uh, one use case of that is uh, there was some, there's a policy related to vaccines in the state of California that was uh, connected to the simulation that we put out related to measles. So the story go behind that is that there's a uh, California state senator who did his medical training at Pitt. Um, when we released, hey, we had this Fred Measles simulation, he saw it through a you know, Pitt email and he was like, wow, this is extremely interesting. It actually has every single um, you know, metropolitan area across the United States modeled like, hey, what would a measles outbreak look like if the vaccination rate is at this level versus another level? And he went and started showing the other California state senators the simulations of, hey, this is what a, an outbreak would look like in your home area, like your district. Um, you know, it's going to be an issue. Like every time you see a, a red dot come up, that's, you know, that's someone's life that's being affected. And they were actually able to, you know, to use that as one of the ways to, uh, to help pass a, a bill to, you know, change some of the legislation. So that's that, you know, science going out to kind of like a educational piece and then using that sort of stuff to then like influence policy. I think what's really amazing about the, the story you just shared is you don't actually need a data background to understand you know the severity of a situation and to look at scenarios. And I think that's a sure. great strength of that. And at the same time, you can also I imagine use it for visualization on television. You can probably mm -hmm. have communications to also maybe convince people or show people without necessarily having that data background. Right. Uh, and that's definitely one of the, the good use cases. listening to Healthcare Focus, and I'm your host, Karina Paraskiv. Healthcare Focus is the podcast where we follow healthcare news and industry research so you don't have to. All right, so we were talking about how you, know, you can use the simulations to, to teach and educate and you don't need that data background, right? Um, the one important thing to know, though, is that if you build a poor model and still visualize something, uh, you, know, you really have to look back and, and validate what went into building that model. Because if you build something that's totally crazy and it's like, oh, well, you know, I, I changed these variables to this and that and added this variable in and, and oh, wow, it looks like the entire city is going to have something happen to it or... Um, oh, look, like, I, you know, if you do this thing, then there's going to be, you know, no change in um, cardiovascular disease in someone's life over time or in this population over time, I should say. Um, so you got to make sure that, you know, there's a, res you know, there's a responsibility of using a, a tool like this. Um, and I and think when you're, you're highlighting, this is very interesting because whenever you're entering a new product category that hasn't been, you're not just selling a product, you're, you're selling a product category mm -hmm. in a sense. And because no one's done it before, you also are interdependent. Like if a competitor comes in and they're maybe weaker or doing it wrong, mm -hmm. the public is probably not going to distinguish Fred versus this other product. Mm -hmm. And in their head, the whole product category is perhaps a liability. So I think it's it's interesting that there's what you're doing and you also probably are keeping an eye out on everything that comes up because as, as you say, it has to be legitimate. It has to really be founded in science and not in mm -hmm. imagination, right? Sure, yeah. And that's like one of the, the things we've been able to learn from some of our competitors um, and also people that have been looking at, uh, you know, how do you use simulation, specifically agent-based modeling when you're looking at, you know, large populations at maybe a county level, a state level, 
and even simulations of you know countries the size of the entire United States or you know all of North America, even global simulations. Um, what's really great about our team is that you know they were connected to some of the founding people who were you know starting to use agent-based modeling in the. How do you keep up with the healthcare industry in between these episodes? Every week, Healthcare Focus curates the news and finds the most pertinent articles and videos, sharing them back with the community. If you want to see us appear in your feed, find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. back to our founders so we have three founders two of which are connected to some of the people who are like leading the field of agent-based modeling uh which is one for me as a you know a young founder of a startup company to be connected to people who were truly visionaries in a field uh that i took an interest in for the impact it can have in public health uh to be working with the people who have you know written the book and who the books are written about Uh, it's just a, an exceptional opportunity, and I'm I've been really grateful for working with uh, for with this team. Um, and as more and more people learn about the use of simulation, the use of agent-based modeling, um, you know, I, I think we can really take off. Uh, one example is if you look at the field of marketing, a lot of what happens in marketing and understanding how a product is going to spread, it's based on disease models. So if you think of, you know, there's a new product out there. Well, the people that are, you know, exposed in that market, they're susceptible. And then once they get some marketing material or learn about it, then they're exposed, same as the disease. And then you can either, you know, contract that product, that idea, that thought, you know, whatever it is, or it, you know, passes by, you have some immunity to it, and there's a balance there. And then there's a duration, so you could be, You could use this product or, you know, I'm always going to be buying this thing or that thing over this, you know, sort of a lifetime. And then at a certain point you stop. And, you know, it's, it's using that same type of model. And, you, can, you know, there are other types of disease models that you can use as well. But it's building in those type of factors into, you know, situations where there's not just a, a, a factor of contagion, but a factor of, How is your social environment? Mm -hmm. How are the people around you influencing those type of decisions that can happen? Um, how are things out there in the environment, in your social kernel of, you know, your socioeconomic status, your level of education, uh, all of these different things that, you know, they're not static. They're, they're dynamic processes and how those things are changing behavior and leading to, um, you know, not just not just incidents, but things that, you know, kind of rise or, or fall in a population over time. And I think that's also very interesting because there was um, NPR uh, news piece that came out, I think it was a couple of months ago, and they were talking about parents who don't want to vaccinate their children, and they sent out an ethnographer to actually try to figure this out. Hmm. And what she came out with was that these are a lot of misconceptions we have. These are not parents that are not educated. They were actually highly educated. Mm -hmm. They were often newcomers in neighborhoods in the sample that she looked at, uh, in neighborhoods that did that were anti-vaccine and it was almost like a social badge to, you know, be accepted. It was 
I, I'm going to adopt these beliefs system, right? That, that, sure. that is around me. And I, I think it's interesting because as you mentioned, it's not always just the physical environment. I think there's perhaps other things that are more subtle that if you would be able to model, that would probably give you an even more accurate picture there. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, our, our take on it is, you know, if you're, if you're building a model that, that brings all of those things out, um, adds those factors in that you know, the, the more accurate the ideas will be the more accurate you can more accurately educate um, people. I mean, one of the examples that we can use for some of these subtle factors. Uh, right now, working on a building model for the opioid epidemic. One of the most important things that you know, if we came up with a solution for, it would be tremendous. So, even looking at a factor of, I think we're calling it social well-being. So, if you're looking at the well-being factor of an individual the well-being factors that a neighborhood experiences and you know if a lot of people are you know experiencing lower you know feelings of well-being then there might be a higher likelihood that they would become an opioid abuser um, and all of these things you know it, it has nothing to do with you know the drugs themselves uh, whether they're over the counter and prescribed or off of the street it has you know more so to do with the social environment and those social behavioral aspects are extremely important when you're building in models because you know when you look at the you know definition of health by the World Health Organization it's not just the lack of you know infirmer and you know being sick it's um, you know it's a total and complete physical mental social well-being and, and we have a platform and a tool that enables you to to build a lot of that stuff into our simulations. That's great, and and you do it also at a lower cost because think about first that the cost as a human life, not just monetary, but also monetary. If you were to play out all these real scenarios in real life, I bet you it would come very costly because you would try something, it wouldn't work. You try something else, maybe people would suffer in in, in between. I think it's very interesting. We we have that also in the software industry, right? Where you'll have requirements and you'll try to imagine it before you actually build it mm -hmm. and and you'll do you'll go through iterations through low resolution you know um, prototypes mm -hmm. and eventually you'll say okay this is really seems to work this is what we're going to build right versus just trying to build it spend a lot of resources of time of money exactly and figuring out well it's not exactly what we wanted yeah i mean the cost effectiveness analysis tying you know incidents or outcomes of whatever these simulations can build to monetary value that's something that uh, you know health insurance companies are, are very interested in looking at uh, especially because we have such a good background in, in healthcare but you know energy companies they're going to be interested in it uh, sure you know disaster response all these kind of things uh, you know as as you know populations grow as you know the world population is becoming more and more urbanized you know, there's going to be changes to how society functions and when you have you know the ability to model and create these simulations before it's happening and you know that's you know, true preventative health or preventative you know ways of of governance you know as you know, being a preventative you know having that preventative mindset as a policymaker or as a crucial decision maker uh, it's going to be more and more important especially as the population on the planet continues to grow and you know resources are going to have to be managed even you know better so yeah there's you know we started infectious disease and we started the discussion about measles but you know as you can see where the conversation went there's this whole other side of these social things that we you know 
hope one day that people are using our platform to to help make better decisions for it. Absolutely. And I'd also hi- um, highlight the fact that even sponsors can be interested because if, if you're looking at it from a perspective like, uh, you know, the global campaign for ending polio, mm-hmm. which is almost over, I think there's like four countries left or something. And we saw that there was also some back and forth. Sometimes there was progress being made, but then the neighbors would travel and it would like spread again or things like that. And it might be interesting to, to think what if there would have been a tool at the time where people could have sequenced it and see what's the best progression to kind of tackle it or Mm -hmm. i know there was some you know issues also in terms of like politics i know there was some um, issues with access because Mm -hmm. people are very remote and you have to basically travel and and go up the mountain and go to the village so i I get it's a very complex thing but when i hear you speak i also think okay yeah with the the you know world population there's also that concern of how do we even deliver those vaccines that when we do Mm want to help abroad yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, tying in the you know, factors of like supply chain, you know, related to that, you know, how, how that's going to play out. Um, our our tool is not really meant to do that sort of work, but it if used in partnership or, you know, with other tools and other ways to, you know, help find a solution to that process. Um, you know, we have a, we definitely have a platform to help, you know, build the simulations of, all right, if you're changing these things, here's how something's going to spread or whatever. So, yeah. Okay, so let me d- dive into a last uh, little corner there before we wrap that up. Sure. And it's to look at it in terms of uh, the business innovation side because often we think mm-hmm. of scientific innovation when you think of medicine. We think of you know a new cure that we find or a new robot that we build. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said also about you know it's, it's something new, it's not tangible, it's not the traditional thing you would find in medicine or in, in healthcare in general. Um, can you talk a little bit about the experience of what it is to work on the business side for something like sure. that? Sure. Uh, it's exciting. It's also uncertain. Uh, you know, that's the, the one thing about you know, starting anything new. There's, you don't have the data points around you to you know, make all the decisions. Or you don't have the data points around you that you would want. You don't have all of them. But you do the best you can and uh, you just try to be you know, humble and learn from, from others about it. But the, the cool part about how this even got started was, you know, it was initially, oh, Fred's this great research tool. And then somebody from an industry close to one of the co-founders said, hey, you know what? I, know I had a whole career in hospital administration. This would have been a great tool to help me solve one, two, and three problems. And from there, it was like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, never thought of that before. And then that brought in the customer discovery process which you know showed oh there there are more than just those three use cases for this technology here are these others and then at that point it's like okay well from the business side how big are these markets but also from the side that we want to have a, a social impact and, and you know tied to that it's you know not just monetarily how you know how big could this company you know grow and all that but what is the impact that we can have for people um, what's the impact that we can have on the future of the way public health is practiced? Uh, and these are all, you know, great things to to think of and you know play out as you know a business practice. But also, um, we take a, a I think we take a good approach, like philosophically, to you know the work that we are doing, the work that we hope to do, and hope to see others do using our technology. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today, John. Yeah. Thanks. I'm glad you had me on. In a couple of moments, we are going to share with you what's coming in the next episode. But 
If you think others just like you might enjoy this podcast, help us spread the word. Give us a quick rating, write us a review, or just share with a friend. John impresses me by um, not only the ideas, but how he communicates them. I think he's got a special gift for conveying uh, something as complex as um, a simulation in epidemiology, but really explaining the everyday impact and the policy impact, which is very important um, for breakouts, for all of these things that we could prevent and sometimes do with tools like these. So as always, we are including in the show notes a couple of links. Uh, Do go check them out. But more than that, I'd say if you happen to live or visit Pittsburgh, um, so live in Pittsburgh or visit Pittsburgh and you run into someone from Fred, I have to say um, to take the time and chat with them because every time I, I speak with them, it's always so inspiring and there's always a story about, you know, how they changed a little piece of history um, as humbly as, as, you know, it was. And it's it's always impressive to me to hear real stories and how you know, projects and ideas that someone at some point had in time actually translated into making a real difference. That's great, great work. Um, all right, so this was simulators in the context of epidemiology. Next week, we're moving into something completely different. We are going into that traditional sense of um, simulation, and that is we're visiting a simulation center. Um, it is <laughs> ironically located only a couple of blocks away Um from Fred, but it, it's a whole different universe. And with us, we're going to have our guide uh, guest and guest speaker, Thomas Dongeli, and he's going to show us the ins and out of, of um, these the centers, of these simulation centers. And more interestingly, I think we'll discover something that we've never really thought about, which is what exactly makes a good simulation? How do you design the right medical simulation? That's coming up next on Healthcare Focus.